Good Monday morning, a deadly attack on U.S. troops in the Middle East. And it could be a major turning point in the region. It's January 29th. Good morning. This is Today. Breaking overnight, tensions escalating after three American soldiers are killed in a drone strike in Jordan. Dozens more injured. The U.S. pointing the finger at Iran and its proxies and vowing retaliation. What will that response look like? Will the U.S. be drawn further in? We'll go one-on-one live with the National Security Council's John Kirby. Border showdown. The White House and a group of senators on the verge of striking a bipartisan deal on immigration. The president saying he will shut the border down on day one if it passes. Just ahead, why Donald Trump is telling Republicans to kill the deal. Weather alert, new storms on the move after a week of heavy rains from coast to coast. Millions more bracing for record high temperatures this week. We'll have your full forecast. Back in court, a key hearing set to begin today on Alec Murdoch's push for a new trial claiming jury tampering led to his murder conviction. A live report from the courthouse just ahead. Those stories plus mystery solved. A surreal moment. The new discovery at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Could it help answer one of the world's greatest mysteries? What happened to Amelia Earhart? And then there were two. The 49ers pull off a historic comeback to beat the Lions and reach the Super Bowl. The Chiefs shining in Baltimore to punch their ticket. Their fourth trip to the big game in just five years sealed with that kiss. Next stop, Vegas, baby. Today, Monday, January 29th, 2024. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Cuppy, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Today, Monday morning. Nice to have you along with us. Wow. I mean, I just, that was a comeback. What I mean, a comeback. I thought that Lions game was a lock. If you watched the first half, first couple of, you know, before the, the halftime, it was like it was going to be a wash. If you However, went, if you went and tucked your kids <laughs> in bed and which came back did. and yeah. then discovered that suddenly it was all tied up, you, you were shocked like wow. a lot of America. And yeah. then, of course, we've got the Chiefs game. They're going back to the big dance. We've got Travis Kelsey celebrating on field with Taylor. Will she make the Super Bowl? I are, yes. I hear she's jet-setting from Japan. She'll make it, we think. We're going to have a lot more on the Super Bowl excitement in just a bit. But first, our top story this morning, the dramatic escalation in the Middle East. Three U.S. service members killed, more than 30 others injured in a drone strike in Jordan. This is the first American military fatality in the region since the start of the war in Gaza. U.S. Central Command says it took place at a military outpost in the north of Jordan that's right next to the Syrian border. The White House quickly blaming Iranian-backed militant groups with President Biden vowing to respond. We've got complete coverage, including a live interview with White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby. But we'll start in Jordan. NBC's Chief International Correspondent Keir Simmons here. Good morning. Savannah, good morning to you. This morning, Iran is attempting to distance itself from this attack, saying it does not send orders to what it calls resistance groups. But an Iranian proxy is being blamed for the killing of three Americans here in Jordan, risking the kind of escalation between Iran and the U.S. that's long been feared. This morning, the Biden administration vowing to take all necessary action after an unmanned drone strike sent, it said, by Iran-backed militant groups. Three U.S. soldiers were killed, the first American military fatalities from hostile fire since war broke out between Israel and Hamas on October 7th. 
another major escalation in a region already in turmoil. And U.S. Central Command said more than 30 were wounded in the attack in northeast Jordan at a remote base on the border with Syria and Iraq called Tower 22. Eight personnel, CENTCOM said, were evacuated to higher-level care. President Biden yesterday leading a moment of silence and promising an American response. Uh, we had a tough day last night in the Middle East. We lost three brave souls in an attack on our base. And we shall respond. The base that can be seen by satellite is tasked with fighting the remnants of ISIS and limiting Iran's reach in Syria. Two U.S. officials told NBC News a drone packed with explosives had struck American troops as they slept. It's the latest and deadliest attack on U.S. forces facing conflicts with Iran-backed groups on multiple fronts. One called the Islamic resistance in Iraq, saying it targeted three U.S. bases in the region on Sunday, partly in revenge, it says, for Israel's military campaign in Gaza. With America already locked in an escalating confrontation with the Houthis in Yemen over the group's continued attacks on global shipping, the Houthis praising the fatal strike on U.S. troops. Now Republicans demanding a more forceful response from the U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham writing, I am calling on the Biden administration to strike targets of significance inside Iran. Hit Iran now, hit them hard in a region already rocked by events in Israel and Gaza. The U.S. has paused funding to a major U.N. agency after Israel said some of its staff participated in Hamas terror attacks on Israel on October 7th. The U.N. saying it has fired nine staffers as the investigation continues. And Savannah, the Pentagon says that U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria have been attacked 160 times by Iran-backed groups uh, since October. The Biden administration has been trying to negotiate a ceasefire in Gaza and warning Iran not to escalate. But today in this region, uh, U.S. allies from Bahrain to Egypt are warning of further instability while condemning what they're calling a terrorist attack. Savannah. Kerry Simmons in Jordan for us. Thank you. We're joined now by retired Admiral John Kirby, spokesman for the White House National Security Council. Admiral, good morning to you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We heard the president say we shall respond to these latest attacks. Uh, there have been, as we just heard, more than 160 attacks against U.S. interests and its allies' interests since October 7th. The U.S. has responded. Iran and its proxies seem completely undeterred. Should we expect a more stepped-up response in response to this latest attack, which led to American casualties. I can tell you we're reviewing our options right now about what the right next step here is to Savannah and what the what the response needs to look like. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we're now uh, in different territory here with three Americans killed and more than 30 wounded. And by the way, our thoughts and prayers are with all those who are affected by this violence, certainly the families of those who got the worst possible news over the weekend. Uh, but we're taking a look uh, real hard at what the options need to be for a response. And I won't get ahead of the president, uh, but I can tell you that he takes very, very seriously uh, our obligation to defend ourselves, our troops and our facilities in the region. Many Republican lawmakers are calling for a, quote, devastating response against Iran directly, including strikes inside Iran. Is retaliation inside Iran on the table of options for this administration? 
Well, I hope you can understand that I'm not going to get ahead of the president's decision space here or talk about what the options might be. Uh, he said we'll respond. Uh, we we uh, we absolutely will. We'll do it at a time and in a manner of our choosing, uh, certainly. But uh, but so, obviously this this yeah. requires a, a response. But it's not ruled out. Would you say that? Uh, we are not looking for a war with Iran. We're not looking to escalate the conflict in the region. Uh, there'll be a, a range of options that the president will take a look at. And again, I don't want to get ahead of him on this. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General C.Q. Brown, said in an interview that was taped prior to this latest attack, but that aired yesterday, he doesn't believe Iran wants war with the U.S. Is that the president's view? Has anything about that changed? I think, uh, look, we've, uh, as he said, we've communicated directly to Iran uh, 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 what uh, what we expect here to see. Um, uh, obviously, these attacks keep coming. Uh, we'll keep looking at the options. Um, I-, I can't speak for the supreme leader or what he wants or he doesn't want. Uh, I can tell you what, what we want. What we want is a stable, secure, prosperous Middle East, and we want these attacks to stop. That means we've got options here ahead of us, and, and we're going to have to work our way through that. How do you calibrate a response to Iran that is decisive and convincing and deterring, but that also does not draw the U.S. into this conflict even more deeply. That's what the national security leadership at this level really requires, Savannah. Uh, it's uh, it's how do you look after your interest in the region? Uh, and, and clearly, uh, we don't have an interest in some broader regional conflict or going to war uh, in, in the Middle East again. Uh, and those are the tough decisions that a commander in chief has to make, certainly in this time, in this place. And, and he'll do that. He's working his way through uh, what the right options need to look like. Let's talk about Israel and Gaza. The CIA director has been meeting with all the uh, relevant parties trying to get a deal that would be uh, called for the return of hostages in exchange for a lengthier ceasefire. You've said, I believe, that that thing is imminent. But has there been significant progress on a deal? Are we closer than we've been before? I would tell you that these discussions have been constructive. Uh, I've described them as sober and serious, certainly that. Uh, but I think it's fair to say they've been constructive. We've been uh, very actively engaged with Qatar, with Egypt, with Israel. Um, and, uh, and I think uh, we've made some progress here. I, I want to be careful. I don't want to come across as too sanguine here. Uh, you know, we don't, I don't think we have a deal that's imminently uh, about to, to happen or that we can announce. But I do think we have made some progress here. And if we can get this in place, uh, a more extended humanitarian pause than what we saw in November, uh, we can actually get all the hostages out. We can get all the, or not all, but a lot more aid in, and we can get the violence down there, which can have a, a dramatic impact on the civilian casualties. So there's an awful lot of promise here, but I tell you, there's also an awful lot of discussion and, and diplomatic work that still has to be done. And finally, the U.S. has suspended aid momentarily to the U.N. Relief Agency UNRWA in Gaza after accusations that members of the U.N. agency were connected to Hamas and in one case participated in the October 7th attack on Israel. What is the proper response if these allegations are verified? And, And what does that mean in terms of the humanitarian crisis in Gaza as well, as this is the main agency administrating aid there? Yeah, the UN Release and Works Agency, UNRWA, as it's uh, called colloquially, they have been doing uh, a lot of amazing work on the ground in Gaza, literally helping save thousands of lives. Uh, now, they're taking this seriously. Uh, they they brought the information to us, by the way. Uh, they let us know uh, that they had this report of 
uh, about a dozen employees who were somehow involved in October 7th. They're taking this very, very seriously. They've called for an investigation and they've made it clear uh, that they're going to hold anybody appropriately accountable to include criminal prosecutions. I don't want to get ahead of that investigation or that process. You're right, Savannah. We suspended our funding uh, pending the results of that investigation. Let's see where it goes and then we'll we'll make the appropriate policy decisions going forward. But I do think it's important to remember that UNRWA does important work across the region, certainly in Gaza. Uh, they have helped save thousands of lives. And we shouldn't impugn uh, the good work of a whole agency uh, because of uh, of the terrible, just terrible allegations uh, lobbied against uh, just a small number of their employees. Certainly not. But does that create a trust issue and a credibility issue there? Well, it, it could very well, depending on what the investigation finds and, and what UNRWA does about the investigation results. So, so I think, you know, we've, we have decision points that we're going to have to make going forward here, but I don't want to get ahead of the investigation and what it's going to find. Admiral Kirby, glad to have you with us this morning. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Also this morning, we are following several new developments in the border battle, including a potential bipartisan deal to overhaul immigration policies that's dominating conversations on Capitol Hill and on the campaign trail. NBC's Guad Venegas joins us now from Eagle Pass, Texas. Hey, Guad, good morning. Hoda, good morning. Congress has been working on a deal for months now, and we're also now seeing President Biden take a tougher stance on the border, saying he would potentially shut it down if it means locking in a deal with Republicans to get that aid for Ukraine and an immigration deal. As the influx of migrants continues at the southern border, Washington hoping a deal to stem the tide could be close. If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. President Biden and lawmakers working on a bipartisan deal to expand the president's authority at the border. Lawmakers hopeful it can pass. We do have a bipartisan deal. We're finishing the text right now. This despite former President Trump opposing the deal. I'd rather have no bill than a bad bill. A bad bill you can't have. Mr. Trump condemning the deal in a flurry of truth social posts over the weekend, claiming without evidence there will be major terror attacks if migrants continue to come in. Other Republicans pushing back. Donald Trump, the last thing he needs to do is tell them to wait to pass a border deal until the election. We can't wait one more day. And it comes as Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott is in a standoff with a federal government, denying federal agents access to an area in Eagle Pass that's been the epicenter of the migrant surge. Now surrounded by a fence and razor wire, the state even adding more razor wire after last week, a Supreme Court ruling gave Border Patrol agents the power to remove it. Republican governors from 25 states signing a letter supporting Texas. Texas should stand their ground. All this as House Republicans unveil articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Republicans allege that Mayorkas displayed a refusal to comply with the law and accuse him of making false statements and knowingly obstructing lawful oversight of the Department of Homeland Security. DHS blasting the move, calling it an unconstitutional evidence-free impeachment. And whether that immigration deal moves forward is an open question since President Trump is opposing it. He has said it would be, quote, a gift for President Biden in an election year. But other Republicans are saying that this is the best deal that the party is going to get. Hoda. All right. Guad Venegas for us there in Texas. Guad, thank you. Quarter after much more to get to. The Super Bowl Here is now go. set. It's set. You watched some football yesterday? We did watch a lot of football yesterday. The Kansas City Chiefs continue their Super Bowl era. Uh, Conference Championship <laughs> Sunday featuring an amazing comeback and 
a dynasty in the making. When all was said and done, it's the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs now heading to Las Vegas. NBC's Kaylee Hartong has all the highlights. We had some good football yesterday, Kaylee. Oh, I bet your house was a very happy one with that Chiefs outcome, Craig. Good morning, guys. Playoff football hits different, and Championship Sunday proved that. The Lions' magical season has come to an end, and the likely NFL MVP won't be playing for a ring, but Super Bowl 58 is serving up an elite rematch featuring star power on and off the field. An awesome job. Are you ready for it? The Kansas City Chiefs are Super Bowl bound again. Superstar Taylor Swift in the middle of the celebration embracing boyfriend Travis Kelsey on the field, alongside his family. Their love story, sending Swifties and Chiefs Kingdom into a frenzy. I'm literally about to cry of pure happiness. Travis's older brother Jason showing his support too. Through a seven-point win, Kelsey's connection with quarterback Patrick Mahomes, unstoppable. The Chiefs shutting down the top-seeded Ravens in Baltimore. Olympian Michael Phelps joining the Ravens flock to root on the home team and Lamar Jackson, the favorite for league MVP, working his magic on the field. But the Ravens offense struggled to gain momentum, the Chiefs defense forcing them to make critical mistakes and capitalizing. Baltimore derailed as Kansas City wins the AFC title for the fourth time in five seasons. Now it's on to Las Vegas for the Chiefs and the 49ers who engineered one of the greatest comebacks in NFC Championship history. The Lions roaring to a hot start in San Francisco. Their fans even packing Ford Field in Detroit for a watch party. But the Niners wouldn't go down without a fight, bouncing back in the second half to erase a 17-point deficit and ending Detroit's dreams of its first Super Bowl trip. So eagle-eyed Swifties are well aware. Taylor Swift's international tour is picking back up. She's got a show in Tokyo the night before the Super Bowl, but we have done the math. And thanks to the 17-hour time difference working in her favor, she will be able to make it to Vegas in plenty of time. And for all of those in Chiefs Kingdom looking to book a trip from Kansas City to Vegas, there are some new flight options for you to check out. American Airlines adding flight 1989 the day before the game. That's a nod to, of course, the Taylor Swift album, guys. Well played, American Airlines. Yeah. Well wow. Played. I heard the return was 87. <laughs> Seriously? I heard that. I don't there know if it's you. true. You're don't right. quote me. Well, it will oh, be. Oh, it is? Okay. It will be. Yes. Yes. Which is Travis's number, yeah. Yeah. as your daughter pointed out to you. I know. My daughter said I love number 87. I go, but why? I mean, my six-year-old, yeah. now seven-year-old daughter. Tay Tay. Crazy. She's in the football. All Thanks right. to Taylor. All right. Miss Dryer, she can't take it. I can't, like, roll my eyes enough. <laughs> <laughs> my husband's just like, can we just watch football? Oh, I know. All right, moving on. Let's just switch over to the weather. It was kind of a miserable weekend for the Northeast. The rain didn't stop. The snow up in the Catskills, we saw about 10 inches of snow. Now we're just seeing a few spotty snow showers. That whole storm system is pulling away. A little bit of light snow back through the Appalachians and into the Northeast, but nothing more as far as accumulations are expected. The next storm system, back through the Great Lakes as we go into tonight, this is a very quick-moving clipper system. It's going to come in, dump a little bit of rain and snow, and then continue to move down into to the south and east. Now, back through Indiana, through Michigan, into Ohio, we could see a little bit of light snow. Heavier rain expected across eastern Kentucky, and then this this will also bring rain through Virginia and into North Carolina before exiting off the east coast as we go into Wednesday night. The other big story out there will be this record high uh, temperatures that we're expecting out west. Temps running about 15 to 25 degrees above average. And that's your latest forecast. All right, Dylan, thank you. Uh, Coming up, the murder trial and conviction of Alec Murdoch back in the spotlight 
the focus of the hearing today. Sam Brock's covering it for us. Hey, Sam. Yeah, Hoda, good morning. Accusations of jury tampering by the clerk of court have prompted a new hearing today that could lead to a brand new murder trial. Why, Hoda, this could come down to one juror. That story next. All right, Sam, thank you. And then take a look. Could this be Amelia Earhart's long lost plane? We're going to hear from the man who is convinced he has discovered a major breakthrough in one of the greatest unsolved mysteries of all time. But first on a Monday morning, this is today on NBC. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash today just go to indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash today conditions apply need to hire you need indeed all right we're back 7 30 let's start this half hour with new developments in a high profile murder case we have been following it here for years alec murdoch is serving consecutive life sentences for killing his wife and youngest son today a hearing over allegations of jury tampering is set to start and that hearing will determine if murdoch gets retried nbc sam brock joins us now from columbia south carolina sam good morning Yeah, Craig, good morning, guys. Good morning. The clerk of court in this case is accused of saying things to the jury like watch him closely and not to be fooled, which she denies. Now, the judge only has to find that one of the 12 jurors was prejudiced by the clerk in voting to convict. And we're looking at a brand new murder trial. It is the latest bizarre twist in this case. Guilty. Less than a year after being convicted of killing his wife and youngest son, Alec Murdoch will now be back in a South Carolina courtroom. And he may be taken away. Trying to get his highly publicized six-week case retried. Specific evidence about what was said, when it was said. The judge overseeing the hearing, a former state Supreme Court justice, laid out basic ground rules for exploring scathing accusations the clerk of court, Becky Hill, tampered with the jury and debated with Murdoch's attorneys about who should be testifying, with the defense hoping to bring in alternates. These people are witnesses to what the court said to the juror who deliberated. Our focus will be on the jurors that heard this case and not on either that alternate. One juror writing in a sworn affidavit, Hill told them not to be fooled by the evidence presented by Mr. Murdoch's attorneys and also look at his actions and look at his movements which I understood to mean that he was guilty. Ten other jurors did not make those accusations in their affidavits. One didn't submit one at all, and Hill herself denied the claims, writing in her affidavit. I did not tell the jury not to be fooled. I did not instruct the jury to watch him closely. I did not instruct the jury to look at his actions. But before the accusations, Hill was surprisingly vocal and public. There were just so many things that happened behind these doors of justice that 
the whole world would be so interested, I think, to know. Promoting her book, Behind the Doors of Justice, on NBC affiliate WSAV. I think Alex uh, got the justice that he deserved. Murdoch's attorneys arguing a conviction would have boosted her book sales, providing a possible motivation for tampering. Craig, anytime there's outside influence in the sanctity of the jury room, it is improper. Last Friday, one juror already testified due to a scheduling conflict. Shortly after the trial, a trio of jurors sat down with Savannah and Craig, explaining what pushed them to guilty. Well, the witness testimony was very believable, and the Kennel video definitely played a major part in his testimony. Now, later today, guys, the jurors will be brought in one by one and questioned by the judge. We know that they are not going to be showing their faces, but their voices will be broadcast. It's worth noting as well that this clerk of court position, it's an elected job generally involving administrative duties and jury logistics. It is definitely not supposed to include conversations about the case. Back to you. Sam Brockforce there in Columbia, South Carolina. Sam, thank you. Let's get more. We've got NBC senior legal mm-hmm. correspondent Laura Jarrett here. So this is a very, very high bar that yep. the defense would have to meet to get a new trial laid out for yes. us. Yes, they have their work cut out for them. So the judge wants to bring in each juror, question them individually to find out, did you have any contact mm-hmm. with Becky Hill? And did that conduct actually influence your verdict in some way? Did that actually influence how you thought about the case? And it's on that second prong that I think they're going to have a lot of trouble. Let's talk about just Becky Hill for a second. Second, yeah. her name has come up before. She has other accusations against her. Will that play in this? Well, it, look, she says none of this happened, by the right. way. And it all hinges, at least in Murdoch's telling, on one juror who did participate in deliberations mm-hmm. who says she heard things or she, she or he, we don't know yet, heard things. Mm-hmm. But the problem is she doesn't say she was influenced by Hill. She says she was she or he was influenced by other jurors. And that's part of deliberations. That's what yeah. happens at trials. And so she wasn't influenced. She he wasn't influenced by Hill, that's going to be a problem for them. That's why this is so tough. So so what do Murdoch's attorneys have to do? What do they have to prove to, to get a new trial? They're going to have to show some actual influence, some okay. actual bias, some actual prejudice. And that's where I think they're going to have a tough road. And we'll see what happens. Because someone can get on the stand and say something we haven't heard, right? We have to at least open that possibility. It's different when you're being questioned by a judge. Um, we'll see what happens today. Okay. Laura, thank you Thanks, very much. Laura. All right. When we come back here on a Monday morning, chilling new video of that shark attack on a 10-year-old Maryland boy inside that exhibit at a Bahamas resort, what it's revealing and how that boy is now doing. But first, it is one of the greatest aviation mysteries of all time. And is it on the verge of being solved? Emily Aked is here with that story. Hey, Em. Hey there. Good morning. It's a question that's confounded the world for decades. What exactly happened to Amelia Earhart and her plane? Well, a former military intelligence officer believes he just found a major clue coming up the sonar image that was taken 16,000 feet underwater. Stay with us. Back now, 740, with a new twist in one of the greatest unsolved mysteries in history. The founder of a deep-sea exploration company believes he has uncovered what could be a major breakthrough in the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. NBC's Emily Aketa is here with that story. Hey, Em. Guys, good morning. This is a really interesting one. You think about it. So many adventurers have tried to find the plane Amelia Earhart was flying back in 1937 when she disappeared on a journey around the world. The latest expedition was undertaken by a real estate investor and pilot who says his sonar images may show Earhart's plane at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. 
For almost 90 years, the mystery of what happened to trailblazing aviator Amelia Earhart has intrigued generations after she vanished flying her twin-engine aircraft in 1937. Now, one man bent on solving the mystery believes he's found a major clue. Tony Romeo believes this sonar image could show Earhart's plane, which was never recovered, at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Well, you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that it's anything but an aircraft, for one, and uh, two, that it's not Amelia's aircraft. Romeo, a pilot and former Air Force intelligence officer, sold his real estate investments to start a deep-sea exploration company and fund an expedition last year to the suspected area of the crash. In December, the team was reviewing the sonar data collected by a state-of-the-art underwater drone when something caught their eye. I mean, it was a surreal moment. A sonar expert telling NBC News it's too soon to say for sure that the images show a plane, let alone Earhart's, but that it's an exciting possibility worth going back to confirm. But Romeo is confident. There's no other known crashes in the area, um, and certainly not of that era, um, in that kind of design with the tail that you see clearly in the image. The image was taken about 100 miles from Howland Island, halfway between Australia and Hawaii. Earhart and her navigator expected to land there in July 1937 for a refueling stop on her journey around the world. Earhart and the plane never arrived. Since then, several expeditions have sought to find clues about what happened without success. Now, Romeo's team will return to the site, hopefully later this year. So the next step is confirmation. Then there's a lot we need to know about it. And it looks like there's some um, damage or, I mean, it's been sitting there for, for 87 years at this point. Hoping to find answers about the fate of a legend 16,000 feet under the sea. I think myself that it is the greatest mystery of all time and certainly the most enduring aviation mystery of all time. So we got to solve this mystery. Is it or isn't it? So what's the next trip going to look like? Okay, so now that they have the coordinates of this possible wreckage mm-hmm. site, they want to go back out there with a camera, an ROV, a remotely operated vehicle to get exactly an understanding of what could be down there. Of course, these deep sea expeditions are extremely expensive. Yeah. Romeo has already put out some $11 million for the last excursion, but still he says his team is hoping to get back out there later this year or next year. $11 million of his own money? Of his own money. Oh, wonder yeah. if a lot of other Committed. people will piggyback on that. They're like, yeah. where is that place? Where yeah. are the coordinates? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got to be careful. All right. Thanks, Sam. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Let's get another check of the weather. Dylan's in for Al this morning. Hi there. Hi. Good morning again, everybody. The weather is mostly quiet across the country. I'd say the big story, though, is going to be these record-breaking temperatures likely out west. We're looking for highs up to around 15 to 30 degrees above average, and we'll likely see records across the Pacific Northwest, stretching down into California, up into Montana, too, where temps today should be well up into the 60s. And that's your latest forecast. All right, Dylan, thank you so much. Coming up, are you obsessed, like some of us, with playing Connections every day? Well, we are welcoming the woman behind the craze to Studio 1A to help us celebrate. You guys, congrats. Do you celebrate National Puzzle Day? You know, this is the first year I'm celebrating. Okay, we're we're celebrating. All right, we'll have that coming up right after this. Drug in. Oh, look at Carsey. <laughs> Carsey? Hey. What's up? I resemble those comments. <laughs> well, guys, still coming up. They are back. Grew and his beloved minions oh. set to once again take the box office by storm. We're going to give you a first look at their next adventure. Plus, we're catching up with James Corden, which is downstairs in the makeup room, having a chat with James. He looks and sounds great, the former late night host, working on something new and exciting. And he is here in Studio 1A to tell us all about it live. We're looking forward to catching up with James and so much more. Let's see what. 
Até.